With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's going on, everybody? And welcome in to another edition of B-Shape Daily. My name is Brendan Schaefer. Alongside you here on Monday, August 2nd. Another off day for the Cardinals. They don't play on a Monday at all throughout the month of August. Or not until the bitter end, I should say, August 30th, they get the Reds. That's their only Monday game this month, so a few more off days coming up on Mondays ahead. So today we're breaking down Sunday's win over the Minnesota Twins. Cardinals take the series two out of three, which is exactly what we've been saying they need to do. That's going to be a key for them coming up for the remainder of August as they get an opportunity again to play some teams that are not high in the standings, They're not contenders, most of them. And then they get some games against teams that are contenders, but within the Central Division. And those are the exact kind of contenders that you want to play because you're trying to chase them down in the standings. You control your own destiny. When you get a chance to face off with them head-to-head, the Cardinals will get the Milwaukee Brewers at home. Three-game series on the 17th through the 20th. And then toward the end of the month, they get one against the Reds that will bleed into September and into another series against Milwaukee. So two Milwaukee series coming up in the next little over 30 days. Series against the Reds. Everybody else the Cardinals play, as we'll get into here in the remainder of this podcast, pretty much non-contenders. We'll go over the August schedule, and we're also going to break down Sunday's win. Adam Wainwright does it again. Pretty much has been nails all season long for the Cardinals, and it seems like even when he gives up some runs early, for the most part, You can expect him to still settle in, give you six, seven innings of quality baseball the rest of the way. Just kind of let the offense know, yeah, we're going to be in this game. Don't you guys worry. If he gives up one early, he's going to fight. He's going to stay in that game. He's going to save the bullpen. He's going to do what veterans do and give the Cardinals an opportunity to win a baseball game. It's what they did on Sunday, 7-3 over the Twins because the offense came to life and the star of the show offensively. There were a couple, but we got to start giving some credit. Edmundo Sosa just continues to do some really good things for the Cardinals. Got the chance to start at shortstop on Sunday ahead of the off day. Going to give a couple of days to Paul DeYoung, who just has not had a very Paul DeYoung-like season. In the past, it's been early on, hot and heavy for DeYoung. Toward the end, he tails off. This year, he didn't start really too hot. He's hit the home runs along the way. He's been okay in that category, but otherwise just hasn't really been able to to get it going for long stretches. He's got much better numbers over the course of the last six weeks or so. We've talked about and praised his development from where he was to where he is now, which is around a 200 average, 700 OPS. Before, he was ooh, he was hitting about 150, 160 for a while there. Had the stint on the injured list. Didn't necessarily catch fire right straight off of it when he got back. And it was the occasional home run and nothing else for Paul DeYoung. He's been playing a little bit better. And, I mean, the numbers offensively, we talk about OPS, they're even still a little bit higher than what Edmundo Sosa's been for the season. But Sosa's got that spark plug energy, and on Sunday he was 3-for-3, took a walk on base four times, scored two runs, drove in a pair, and hit his third home run 
of the season. That's why the OPS discrepancy, even though Sosa hitting 256, a much higher batting average than Paul DeYoung. Uh, Paul DeYoung still has about 14 home runs on the season, if I'm not mistaken. So that's where the discrepancy for the OPS comes in. It's based on the slug difference there. And actually fitting in with the theme of what I've been saying about DeYoung's struggles of late, there's a reason they sat him on Sunday now that I'm looking at his numbers. Yeah, he's still hitting 200 at 201, but 681 is the OPS. So he's actually dropped down to the exact same OPS on the season as Edmundo Sosa. But Sosa with a little bit higher on-base percentage and a much higher batting average as well. And what he does in the field, like, I don't want to denigrate Paul DeYoung as a defender because he's got a pedigree there and he's done a nice job defensively. I think Sosa just brings an extra gear is the way I would describe it because he just seems to have a little extra bounce in his step. The plays that he can make, he has more of a knack for the spectacular, whereas I think Paul DeYoung is steady, sure-handed. He'll make the plays he's supposed to make but not often is he going to be as rangy or as flashy as Edmundo Sosa. doesn't make him bad, but I think the Cardinals could stand to benefit from some of the energy Sosa brings to the table. Mike Schultz thought so too on Sunday, and he was right with giving the nod to Sosa, and he ends up jump-starting the offense. Good days offensively for several guys. Two for four for Yadier Molina, two for four for Tommy Edmund with a couple of runs scored for Tommy, which is good to see. But all three of those guys, Sosa included, DeYoung included, makes four all in that 680 range for OPS within three points of one another. And that's half your lineup. So it kind of can be a little frustrating. You can see where the numbers don't necessarily get there consistently for the Cardinals offense when you've got that making up four of your 9-10 regulars. I'll count Carpenter within that, who's also in that range. Actually, he's a little lower. It's 623 for OPS. And then if your your big guns like Goldsmith Arenado aren't hitting, I'll count O'Neill among that, even though he's been struggling of late. I think with the way we've seen the OPS decline for him, I'm going to have to actually do it and do the, the arbitrary endpoints and look at the, the game logs to see what his numbers have been, just say, for the last month or six weeks or so to kind of key in on what's been going on with Tyler. We'll do that here in a minute. But we can use that as kind of an example to show why you can see where the, the struggles come for this offense when guys aren't going consistently. One way the Cardinals could find... A little more consistency at the plate as an offense, I think, would be for Dylan Carlson to continue to be that jump starter at the top of the lineup. He's been in that cleanup role for a few weeks now. It's been hit and miss, but he seems to be catching his stride a little bit more lately, at least consistently hitting the ball hard when he puts it in play. That's a positive element for his game. Three for five on Sunday, scored a run, hit two doubles, so a couple of extra base hits in there and drove in a run. He's hitting 255. He's at a 754 OPS. You look at the numbers across the National League for rookies, there aren't that many big-time contenders, at least on the offensive side. I'll have to check the pitching numbers. Maybe I could be missing somebody there. But I'm talking about rookie of the year. Dylan Carlson's still rookie eligible, and I could see a world in which he uh, makes a run at this thing over the final couple of months of the season. Not flashy numbers. 11 home runs, 44 RBIs, 255 average, 337 on base, and a 417 slug. But that is really teetering on the the player the Cardinals expected him to be. He's getting closer and closer all the while to where the Cardinals thought maybe they were going to have him when he was a top prospect and when he was tearing things up at AAA. Was never billed as a 30-home run guy. Was never billed as a a number three hitter that was going to be the anchor, the power supplier in the lineup. But he hits the ball hard. He had, you know, thought to have good contact numbers. The strikeouts have been higher than maybe I expected for him. He's over 100 Ks on the season with 106 strikeouts to this point. 
it actually leads the team looking across all the numbers. And so maybe that's one element that you wouldn't necessarily expect of a leadoff hitter, but I think he's starting to settle into his own. The Cardinals could really use to find him not disappearing for long stretches, especially if you're going to be the leadoff guy. The expectation, I think, is that you've got to be somebody that, yeah, you might have an offer, but the next day you're going to do something to help give your offense a chance to put some runs on the board. You've got to find hits, find walks, get on base however you can. He's starting to do that a little bit more, and then you can have the days like he did on Sunday where you go three for five. You're really in multiple situations and multiple innings. Give the Cardinals and the big boppers behind you a chance to drive you in. He should be somebody that at the end of the day find himself in a 270 to 275, 280 batting average, getting on base, I would hope, above a 350 clip, and maybe be a guy that if he spends a full season at leadoff could could knock on the door of 80, 90, 100 runs scored. Right now he's just at 53 for the season, so I don't anticipate he'll be getting to that 90 or 100 mark for this season, probably not in play for him. But I think 80 to 85 could still be a possibility. So we'll see how Carlson is able to fare over the course of the rest of the season, but in particular in the next few weeks ahead as the Cardinals look to make their push within the division. Looking at more of yesterday's numbers, it was an offer for Arenado. Bader went over. He's still doing a fine job on the season you're looking to see maybe that Bader doesn't go into that kind of skid where we're kind of seeing O'Neal at right now. I think that's the key. You, you, these guys all have talent within this lineup up and down the group. There's possibilities and there's potential for each of them. But you just don't want any one guy to be going on a prolonged skid because that can be where they start to pile up within your lineup. And that's when you might be like, okay, why can't we score any runs? Well, half the guys in our lineup are on a 1 for 18 and we can't seem to figure out what's going on here. So that's what Bader's looking to stave off a little more long-term. And Ofer every once in a while, not a big deal. Just don't want to go into those kind of prolonged skids. Goldschmidt, one for four day on Sunday. He drives in a couple of runs as well. Tommy had two doubles yesterday. I should mention that both his hits were extra base hits, and so Tommy two bags strikes again. Wanted to make sure we mentioned Yadier Molina. His base hit in the fifth inning, one of his two hits for the game, was number 2,074 for his career. All those hits have come with the Cardinals, and that means he has surpassed Albert Pujols on the all-time Cardinals hits list at 207.4. Albert was at 207.3. Obviously, Pujols compiling those numbers in a shorter span of just 11 years, but Yadi was the one who stayed, gets rewarded with that honor yesterday to surpass Albert. And Pujols will be coming back to town and tweeted out he wanted to celebrate with Yadi when he gets into town in September. That'll be, I believe, a four-game series against the Dodgers just after Labor Day weekend, so that will be a fun time at Bush Stadium to see Albert back in town one last time. And if Dave Roberts uh, does what he should do, he Albert will be participating in all of those games. The way I see it breaking down, I think he should. If he doesn't, I mean, he should start all four games. But I could could see the potential for that not to happen. It would be cool if he did. But I'm thinking maybe start a couple of games, give him game three off, and then have him start the day game on his way out of town for what will almost certainly be his last time in St. Louis, unless the Cardinals meet with the Dodgers in the postseason, which is not looking especially likely as of now. So that'll be a cool thing to look forward to. But all the credit to Yadier Molina yesterday, getting to fourth on the all-time hits list for St. Louis Cardinals. And the three guys ahead of him, all Hall of Famers, Stan Musial, Lou Brock, and Rogers Hornsby. Yadier Molina passes Albert, who now sits at number five on the all-time Cardinals hits list. You'd have to imagine for him going to be a quick entrant into the Hall of Fame as well. Mike Schultz said yesterday it'll be Five years from the day he retires for Albert to get into the Hall of Fame. Not exactly how it necessarily works because I don't know that the voting will be unveiled that quickly. But yes, Albert Pujols will be a first ballot 
Hall of Famer, and Mike Schilt added that he thinks it ought to be unanimous. I think it, I cannot. I truly cannot imagine a Hall of Fame voter not voting for Albert on the first time in. That might end up being like the time where I get up in arms about about it. And if it's still the BBWAA that that's doing the voting, uh, you know, there's always seems to be a guy who abstains or does something flashy for attention, throws in an empty ballot, I should say. When you abstain from voting, I don't believe that impacts the percentages as far as unanimous or not. But if you if you submit an empty ballot, it does. That'll be the first time where I'm like, okay, you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me if you don't think Albert Pujols is a Hall of Famer. He's the best baseball player I've ever seen. So I won't be able to vote on it yet, but you can you can bet I would have been voting for Albert Pujols if I, uh, if I had my 10 years in the BBWAA by the time he retires. But nevertheless... Schilt said five years from the day Albert retires, and then, in his opinion, Yachty will be joining him seven to ten years later whenever he decides to retire. We'll see what that ends up looking like for Yachty or Molina, but pretty funny for Mike Schilt. Yeah, I mean, I have a hard time believing he would want to hang him up after this year, but you never know. It's possible. I don't think seven to ten more years behind the backstop for Yachty, but I guess you never know. We do like to joke about that. His numbers have, have declined as well. We talked about that offensively, but I don't know if the Cardinals are all that concerned with his numbers offensively. You do got to stop hitting him fifth, though, in my opinion, especially when you're not getting as much production out of O'Neal in the in the cleanup spot. I think you could afford to move Yachty down, but the veteran presence, I just wouldn't be surprised to see him continue to hit number five. We talk about this, and it, nothing ever really changes, so I don't, you know, he, he does have that clutch factor to his offense but you know the power is not going to be there number five to me you'd rather have a little more power in that spot but I digress and you do look at the OPSs of the guys behind him Bader's is 850 right now leading the team but Sosa was in the lineup yesterday Edmund both those guys are right around the same number as Yachty so it's kind of hard to make some major arguments for the other guys when nobody at the bottom of the lineup has better numbers for the season except for Bader and he's starting to tail off maybe just a little bit but let's talk about Tyler O'Neill, who's, I could say, you know, hate to say it, but he's tailed off more than a little bit. I just decided to go back to July 1st, so nothing arbitrary about that. Just looking at basically the last month of play for him. 660 OPS, 240 average, just a 347 slug, only two home runs over the last month plus a day. So he's definitely tailed off compared to where he was, Tyler O'Neill. And then if you do want to get a little arbitrary about it, you could look at since, say, oh, July 18th, which is just about two weeks, and that's a 200 average with a 260 slug and a 533 OPS, just one home run over the last couple of weeks. So the power numbers, the on-base numbers, it's all been declining for O'Neill of late. I want to get him a day off. He's played quite a few days in a row, it seems like, and so I think it could benefit maybe Tyler O'Neill to have another day in this series ahead. Although, everybody's getting a day off today, so maybe that's part of the reason that Mike Schultz leaving him in there through some of the struggles. And again, he did have a hit on Sunday, so uh, maybe he could start to be coming out of it. You look at his last 12 at-bats, three base hits, and a couple of runs scored. Or I should say two base hits and three runs scored, so he has been getting on base other avenues via the walk to score that third run. Hopefully he's able to turn it around and be the player that he was for a while for the Cardinals because he was definitely carrying this offense, and they could use that moving forward into this August schedule. Let's go ahead and get into it now. Talk about the Cardinals' schedule the rest of the month of August. There's a lot to like about it. I don't know if that means, you know, the Cardinals are going to go on the kind of run you think they should, but there is an opportunity to do it here. They played the Atlanta Braves coming up this week, beginning on Tuesday, and the rotation for that was announced on Sunday. The Cardinals are going with 
all new guys pretty much. John Lester, J.A. Happ, and Wade LeBlanc with KK getting pushed back into the next series. Uh, really, he said, Mike Schild, it was just a matter of getting these new guys in there. Nothing to do with any issues with KK, though it is a little strange that they're pushing him behind even Wade LeBlanc, but that might just be the way they want to line things up. You really can't go righty-lefty, righty-lefty because there are four lefties now in the Cardinals rotation, so it almost doesn't matter where you put the one righty. In being Adam Wainwright, you just want to see him pitch as often as possible because I think it's pretty clear he is the ace of the staff as it is currently constructed. But looking at the schedule ahead, they do get the Braves, who are right now 52-54. and 54. We talk about them as if they're not a contender, and I I hesitate to use the word contender because it doesn't feel like they are below 500, but they're only about a game and a half behind where the Cardinals are, and so based on that logic, if we're considering the Cardinals even on the periphery of contention, you have to consider the Braves as well, and the Braves are actually closer to a playoff spot because of how bad the NL East has been. 55 and 49 Mets lead the way, and Atlanta are only four games back of the New York Mets, so... They're within striking distance. They felt that at the trade deadline, adding several outfielders and a closer, I believe they picked up a reliever as well. So the Atlanta Braves still considering that they're trying for playoff spot. This is probably, though, the toughest series that you have over the course of the rest of the month of August outside of the teams you play in the NL Central and the Reds and Brewers because nobody else has a winning record, and Atlanta doesn't either. We're going to make sure we're clear on that fact, but... Other clubs, the Cardinals, are playing the rest of this month. They get the Royals, Pirates, Royals, and then Milwaukee, and then Pirates, Detroit, Pirates. So you play like nine games against Pittsburgh, it seems like. This up, no, it's actually ten. There's a four-game series against Pittsburgh at the end of the month. So you get ten games against the Pirates and another six against the Kansas City Royals. Sixteen of those games over the course of the next month are against those two teams, and you take a look at the standings, 40-65 and 65 is the record of the Pirates. They're 22.5 back in the division and 13 behind where the Cardinals currently stand. And then you have the Royals. They're just about a couple of games ahead of the Twins, who you just took two or three from, have not been playing good baseball. They sold at the deadline 45-59. and 59. So those are two teams that the Cardinals, I mean, you've got to be able to beat up on these guys, right? That's 16 games. Take everything else out of it. If they can even just go 10-6 and six against those two teams over the course of August, that gives you a chance. That puts you five games above 500 for the season. Just go 500 in the rest of those games, which should be, you know, you should be able to do better than that because of the fact that some of those games are against the Tigers who are, st- I don't understand the AL Central, to be honest with you, because you look at where those three teams are at the bottom of that division. The Tigers have actually been playing better than you would expect. They're, they're not what I would call contending. They're 12 games out in the division, but they're actually in third place right now, and I would have had Detroit pegged for the worst team in that division. I think maybe some of their young pitching has been able to bring them along a little better than anticipated, but you've only got two games against them, and then the three against Atlanta, and that's another losing team. Like The Cardinals' goal has got to just be to win every series, but even if you just go 500 against the Detroits, the Atlantas, the Milwaukees, and the Cincinnatis, the teams that are a little bit closer to 500. And you go 10-6 and six against the Royals and the Pirates. That still puts you within striking distance. Especially if of the 500 ball that you play against those other teams, you take two of three from Milwaukee. I think that's a key. You've got to be able to beat Milwaukee because they're not going to help you out and come in back your way. You've got to force them back in your direction. So if the Cardinals go and play, I don't know how many games they have against Milwaukee the rest of the year. I could count it up real quick three, and then they've got another three. It looks like 10 for the remainder of the season. Actually, it's 13. They've got so many games against the Brewers, they've hardly played them so far this year. So 13 against the Brewers, 
if you go like three and ten against Milwaukee, forget about it. If you go six and seven against Milwaukee, honestly, you can probably forget about it. That's I mean, that's darn near a third of the schedule that remains for the Cardinals against the Brewers. Not quite that much, but it's about a, a quarter of the schedule. And so you can't just tread water against them. You've got to start building a little bit of a, a an advantage somewhere, and you've got plenty of opportunity to do it. But you also, in addition to playing so many games against the Brewers, and that's tough. Like, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. That's one of the best teams in the National League, and they're leading the Central by a, a comfortable margin. But because you that's the team you've got to chase down to beat, you couldn't ask for a better situation to be playing the Brewers a bunch and playing bad teams other than that. Like, even in September, the Cardinals' schedule gets a little tougher because you do have that four-gamer against the Dodgers, but at least that one is at home. Looking otherwise at the September schedule, you get the Cincinnati Reds some more, which you should ask for. You get the Cubs four games against them because there's a doubleheader mixed in there, and they're down to the studs, so you you can't really call them a, a very competitive team at this point. They'll be trying to play spoiler against the Cardinals that last week of September if the Cardinals are still in the mix. And you do have the San Diego Padres and the Mets. you got to play two other division leaders. So I guess I should say September does look a little tougher than I first imagined it. But that's why you got to take advantage in August. I win every series. Can't get swept. And I, I would say you can hardly lose a series in August. you just got to be beating these teams. you got to find a way to do it if you want to make the run that the Cardinals are you know, probably feeling like they want to make. This is a team that had aspirations to begin the season, and so I don't think the people in that clubhouse are giving up all too easily on the campaign, even if a lot of Cardinals fans are kind of resigned to it being a mediocre season. And this is kind of a vibe I've sensed from a lot of fans, especially after the trade deadline when they didn't make a splash. And it's not that all all in the fan base were hoping they would. Many people were kind of along that same line of thinking that the front office espoused, which is, I don't think this season's worth giving up a big-name prospect to try and salvage. I would rather get to look forward to watching Nolan Gorman and Matthew Libertor and Jordan Walker and some of those other prospects in the future seasons rather than give them to another team now for something that may not even be worthwhile. And so it wasn't universal that people thought that the Cardinals should be going for it on July 30th this year. But as it turns out, they made some smaller moves to basically say, you know, to where they can defend it and say, well, we're, we're, we're trying, we're doing what we can to get through the season. But it kind of feels like a slog at this point rather than a, yeah, we're going for the gusto. But I think within that clubhouse, the players, they are obviously going to have a mentality of, hey, let's take care of our business right now, win our games, and see where that puts us as we get down to the wire in September. And they're putting themselves in a position right now to do that. They've played better baseball since the end of June. We've talked about, had that little team meeting and was able to turn things around shortly after that series against the Pirates where they had the meeting. It didn't immediately turn into results, but after a while it started to set in and the results have come. Cardinals are something like 15 and 11 since then, and so that's a little bit above 500. Like I said, against those uh, two teams, the Royals and the Pirates, if they play, you know, 10 and 6 ball, that's four games above 500. Just kind of chip away at this deficit. You never know what they might be able to do if they can then really do business against the Brewers. And so where are the Cardinals right now? We're going to find out a lot about them this week because, for one thing, the rehab assignments for Flaherty and Michaelis are still going along. You're going to get to see your first look at Lester, your first look at Jay Happ. If either of those guys turns out to be competent with the change of scenery, you might be able to feel a little better about the rotation, especially when it suffers the next injury because, by the way, that hasn't been outlawed. It's not illegal for another Cardinal starter to go down just because they get their guys back. I think, honestly, you will lose another starter in the next couple of months, and so it makes sense that they would want to have depth for those situations even after 
those guys come back. The problem is going to be if they have seven starters and nobody wants to become a reliever, a long man, because of the fact that they're all veterans here, could be some difficult decisions to see how the Cardinals try to make that happen because it say Happ and Lester both do okay, like adequately, but then you get Jack Flaherty back, you know, you're supplanting one of them in the rotation. So how do you go about doing that? Maybe it's easier to put Wade LeBlanc back into the bullpen at that point because he's been in that spot before, but he's been so good in giving you a chance to win every time he takes the ball that if he continues to pitch that way, I don't know if that's a good idea to move him out of the role that he's currently in. But I don't know about you guys. I'm excited to see how John Lester pitches as a St. Louis Cardinal on Tuesday. It just is, It's such a crazy concept to think of Lester in a Cardinals uniform and pitching at Busch Stadium and Cardinals fans cheering for him after all the years that he's been on the other side, whether it was with the Cubs or even in that World Series 2013 before that against the Cardinals where he absolutely dominated St. Louis. It's going to be really interesting to see how that feels. And we joked about it in the press box. What if he's a sleeper agent? a Cubs sleeper agent who comes to the Cardinals and pitches really poorly to continue the downfall of St. Louis. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's actually excited to be in a situation right now with the Cardinals where, A, he's got a rotation spot despite not having pitched all that great. He's at least got a chance to prove himself in 2021 still. And he's with a team that's not tearing it down. They're at least still trying to win this year. They're not all too far ahead of the Washington Nationals in the standings, but Nationals tore it all down. They traded Trey Turner. They traded Max Scherzer. They... They stripped it down to the studs. Kyle Schwarber's gone. So they made some moves that indicated the direction they're heading, and John Lester said, I don't want to be a part of that. Get me out of here. And according to Mosellock, I asked him about it on the day of the deadline. He said, yeah, there were some other teams that had some some interest in him, but he, he wanted to be here. And so part of that quote made me kind of think that maybe Lester had some agency in where he got sent from the Nationals, and the Cardinals were one of the places he wanted to play. And so he was willing to do it. And uh, the Cardinals got him. So they'll get him on the mountain on Tuesday against Max Freed. Uh, certainly on paper, a pitching matchup that benefits the Braves. But you just never know what could happen with some of these changes in scenery, guys. Can they get something going in their new location to help out their new club? That's what the Cardinals are hoping for this week. And we'll see how they fare against Atlanta. Appreciate you guys for sticking with me for this episode of B-Shape Daily and all episodes, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. As well, head to anchor.fm slash bshafer12. Click on more platforms and you'll be able to locate any place you could want to find the Bshafe Daily Podcast and subscribe there. Would love to have you along for the ride the rest of the year. It's going to be an interesting August for the Cardinals as they look to try to climb back into the standings. They have a chance to do so. Will they take advantage against some of these lesser teams? Stick around for Bshafe Daily throughout the month and we will find out and talk about it either way. Appreciate you guys once again, and that'll do it for this edition of Be Safe Daily. Peace.